Hey everybody, hope you guys are having a great spring break if you are listening to this during your spring break. So I am on a mission to finish these podcasts on spring break. We'll see. We'll see if I get it done. But right now, I am geared up. I have my favorite coffee. I just made a nice pour over, and I've got Collectivo, and it's Indigo Blend. And it is so good. So, a recommendation, guys. If you have not been to Crust and Crumbles in Rockford, downtown Rockford, Madison Street, they have delightful pastries, and they have Collectivo Coffee which comes out of uh, Madison, I believe. There's a shop in Milwaukee. They they have one in Chicago, too. Really good coffee. I would say besides Rockford Roasting Company, it's the best coffee in town. They're not roasting it there, but it's Collectivo, so it's phenomenal. And my favorite is Indigo Blend, and there's blueberry notes. People, it's so good. So good. So, Mm-hmm. So we're ready to rock and roll. But you didn't come here to listen to me talk about coffee. Although that was a minute and a half well spent, I would like to say. And if you actually go and get Collectivo coffee, you'll be thanking me. But I digress. Matthew 19 and Matthew 20. Let's get to it. As with previous lessons, there's just no way for me to talk about everything in the chapters, um, one, because obviously I don't know everything about these chapters, and two, in 20 minutes, there's just not time. So in this lesson for Matthew 19 and 20, I want to talk about this theme that is very apparent in these two chapters of the last being the first, the last being the first. So I'll read and highlight those, and then I'm going to make some points at the end, uh, hopefully if I remember, and if I have time, about the biblical storyline. And I'll make reference to a Bible Project video that just came out a while back on this called, I think the the theme video is called The Firstborn. But um, I think Jesus is picking up here this theme that has been throughout the entire Bible. So that's that's my game plan. <clears throat> All right, let's get to it. Matthew 19 and 20. I'm actually going to go back real quick to Matthew 18 because I want you to see something that uh, the disciples ask that continues this theme. So in Matthew 18, right in the beginning, the first five verses, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and Jesus calls a child and puts the child in their midst and says, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So with, with that, let's jump to chapter 19. And I'll read 19 and 20, and we'll continue looking for that theme in there. Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. 
and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And and before we even keep going, I can't help but wonder if there's some intentional connection between it saying earlier in Matthew and Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came and tested him. I, I guarantee you it's the same Greek word. I bet it's translated differently. Um, but it's peirazo here in Matthew 19, and it can be translated tempt or test. And that's definitely what's going on with, with uh, the devil in the wilderness when the devil came to tempt Jesus. And so I, I wonder if there's a very clear connection that the Pharisees are now filling the slot where the devil was, now the Pharisees are there. I bet you Matthew has that um, intent. And they ask, is it lawful to divorce uh, one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read um, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And again, I'm curious because they're quoting Deuteronomy. And guess what Jesus quoted in the wilderness? Deuteronomy. So it's just kind of interesting. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case uh, of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Some, some interesting comments in there. And I, I do wonder if Jesus is just trying to highlight the, the significance of the kingdom of heaven and how people value it in relationship to marriage. <clears throat> but I'm, I want to keep going because I want to really hold on to that theme of the least is the greatest. But that probably is present even within that, that dialogue that we just read about. Then children were brought to him. <laughs> there you go. That he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom. And he laid hands on them. So to whom is the kingdom for? Well, it it's for people who are eunuchs. It's for the children. It's for those that maybe are considered the least. And you're starting to see this theme. Now, keep, keep that in mind. Next section is about a rich young man. And if you're rich in the first century, that means you have God's favor. And of course, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, right? That would be their mentality. They have God's blessing and favor in their lives. Verse 16, and behold, the young man, 
uh, sorry, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And let's just put in that slot to be in the kingdom of heaven. It's the same language. <clears throat> in other words, how can I become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the man says to Jesus, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. These probably sound familiar to us. And the young man said, all of these I have kept. <laughs> I want to say, really? Really? Go back to what Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, buddy. Uh, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pause. That is the opposite of the way they thought in the first century. They thought if somebody is wealthy, then clearly they have God's favor upon them and they are entering the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, dot time out, hold the phone. That might not be the case. Verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Quick pause there. Uh, you, you guys have probably heard countless sermons where there's some reference in Jerusalem to a gate called the Camel Gate. Um, and if you've ever heard a lesson on that or read something about that or heard a sermon on it, um, you got to know that <clears throat> Bible scholars today see um, that there's no historical reliability to there being a gate called the Camel Gate, that a gate a camel would have to bend down to get through. Um, Jesus is literally talking about a camel and the eye of a needle. And <clears throat> he isn't saying, I don't think, that one can't be rich and enter the kingdom of God. I think what he is saying is, think context here, that who do you think um, enters the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, it's the humble one. It's the one who thinks less of themselves and more of others, that they love God and they love their neighbor. <clears throat> That's who enters the kingdom of heaven. This is an individual who has been transformed, we could say later, by the Spirit of God. It isn't just someone who automatically is rich. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they said, well, who then can be saved? Do you see? You're, you're telling me that th that isn't a clear description of who is in the kingdom of heaven, that it doesn't show God's favor in their lives? Who could, then could be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, uh, you who have followed me will sit also on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first now will be last later and the last first. So there's that language. And wait, wait till you see how that continues into chapter 20. And he's going to talk about laborers in the field. But quick pause. I need to drink more coffee. Okay. Oh, it's blueberry notes, people. So good. Collectivo. Indigo blend. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Quick pause. Matthew 20, verse 1. Notice, the kingdom of heaven is like. This isn't talking about the, the heaven up in the clouds after we die. It's talking about the kingdom that Jesus has brought here on earth. Here's the ethics of my kingdom. And when you look around, you see people operating like this, you know they are a part of my kingdom. Who can be saved? Remember Peter's question in Matthew 19? Carry over topics from a previous chapter to the next. Matthew's intentionally arranged these stories together to create a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. What is this kingdom that Jesus is bringing here? And how is it so different from the way the Jews thought, the way the Romans thought, and the way their kingdoms operated? All right. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others still idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Going out again in the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing and said, why are you standing here idle all day? And they, and they said, well, no one's hired us. And the, the master of the house said, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Hello. Did you hear that? Verse 8, Matthew 20, verse 8, beginning with the last up to the first. Remember all the way back in Matthew 18, this theme was beginning <clears throat> of last and first. So keep keep looking for that language. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they'd receive more, but each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The kingdom of God 
on display with generosity and grace just being poured out. And then right after Jesus tells this parable, notice what he says. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. The kingdom of God is about over-the-top generosity, and that generosity is going to be put on display, of course, on the cross. And then listen to a mother's request, and then listen to the two blind men. So these last two stories in Matthew 20, I think, relate to this theme of last and first. Okay? So then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say to these two sons of mine that they are to sit one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Remember, we've been thinking about the last being first. And man, even Jesus just said in the previous chapter that the 12 apostles are, have this, these thrones that they're going to be sitting on. That's, so that's interesting. And then this mom comes up and, and says this, asks Jesus about her sons. And, and Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they both say we are able. Now, the cup that Jesus is about to drink, that language is from, if I remember correctly, uh, the book of Jeremiah, and it's the cup of God's wrath. So Jesus says to them, verse 23, you actually will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And I'm not, I'm not quite certain if Jesus means you will drink my cup, means the Last Supper, or if Jesus means you're, you're actually going to experience um, martyrdom, as I am about to experience. I think other Gospels describe it more like that. So I think that's what Jesus means here. Actually, guys, you are going to drink my cup, and it's not a cup that's going to be fun to drink. I guarantee you. So here, back to the to the text, verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know how they operate? They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you guys. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
My kingdom, Jesus says, is about generous sacrifice. And you want to know who the first is? It's the one who continually is last, who loves their neighbor in a way that is so over the top. In other words, like Jesus is about to by dying on the cross. And so notice the parallel, guys, in this last section. Here's two others who are going to approach Jesus. So Matthew puts these stories right by each other intentionally to make a point. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed them. And behold, there were two blind men sitting on the side of the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Which is the same question Jesus just asked the mom, what do you want? And what do the blind men say? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So I think Matthew is intending here to, to put a parallel between the two. Who, who really sees um, who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about and understanding the significance of the last being first and how Jesus will illustrate that better than anyone. He's not like a Gentile ruler. He's going to give up his life. This is the kingdom of God. It's about sacrificing for others. Jesus will do it. And of course, we're called to do it as well.